0: Hi, uh, welcome to the New Voting Project. My name is Kunal, your host, back at it again. And today we're here with Amir Badat, um, a litigator and voting rights advocate who graduated from Stanford University. You know, I'm from the Bay Area, so we appreciate we appreciate the hustle. Um, <laughs> with a BA in international relations, IR. Um, and and so, so subsequently, I uh, got a JD from New York University. Yeah, NYU, pretty dope shit. Um, you've also had a multitude of experiences within politics. You've worked at the DNC. Uh, I won't spoil the, I guess, um, you know, congratulations, celebrations. So I'll let you say where you're going to work next. Uh, but but you have a strong emphasis on voter protections, and we're very pleased to have you with us. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Of course, I won't spoil the surprises. All right, <laughs> um, so so I guess just for our viewers, uh, talk a little bit about you know your background, your experiences, how you kind of got from Stanford to voting rights. How was Stanford? By the way, was it fun? You know, did it prepare you for your current responsibilities? Um, just just some background on who you are.
1: Yeah, yeah, I appreciate the the uh, the Bay Area Stanford rep and that we got going on here. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I
0: don't go to Stanford. I'm not, you know, sponsored by them. But they kept my college application,
1: right? <laughs> <You> <laughs> Much can submit obliged. this video with your college application. Exactly.
0: Much obliged.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. No. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, excited to talk to you tonight. Um, yeah. So I I started out. I was born in Mississippi in a small town called Meridian. Uh, Born and raised there uh, until I went off to to college at Stanford. Um, My parents, we were talking about this, my parents are of Gujarati origin. So my dad was born in India. My mom was born in Pakistan. um, And they somehow found themselves in Meridian, Mississippi. (laughs) Uh, And and that's where I was born. Um, They own a small business. They own a motel. So I actually, you know, I, I think this is actually fairly common among Gujarati Americans, but a lot of Gujaratis own motels and hotels. are very prominent in the, in the hospitality industry. So, uh, my family actually lived um, at the the motel. You know, so I grew up at the motel while my family was was running it, um, which was a really interesting experience. Um, and you know, it, it really gave me an insight. You know, I was lucky enough to grow up in a family that owned a small business. Um, you know, middle income lifestyle. Um, but a lot of our customers and, and clientele were people who struggled with poverty, struggled with addiction, struggled with a lot of issues. So I was able to get some insight into kind of the challenges that are faced by um, by people who have to deal with poverty. Um, and it was a really interesting experience for me and really eye-opening experience and it taught me a lot. Um and I think it really shaped me and kind of shaped the path that I wanted to take um in the future. So I after I graduated from high school in Mississippi I went to I went to Stanford um which was a big change. <laughs> I had I hadn't spent a ton of time outside right. of Mississippi, so moving all the way to California was um it was quite a change but it was really great. I loved I loved Stanford um and you asked kind of how my college experience shaped uh, what I'm doing today, and yeah. you know, honestly, I majored in international relations. You know, I we learned about things like democracy and things like. <laughs> um, I, I'd
0: hope they teach you something about them. right. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it was it, it's all and you know, you, a lot of your audience might relate to this as well. People who are in college, like a lot of the things that I learned, were super super theoretical. We're reading all of these you know, journal papers, and um, it's all very abstract. Uh, And really, what I think that I gained most out of my college experience was just learning from my classmates and my friends and the people that I went to school with. And, you know, a lot of people who are doing a ton of like really interesting things in fields that i had never even heard of, Um, people who are doing things with tech and computer science and um, business and econ and things like that, that I, I was just like, wow, there's so much out there uh, for me, that, so much out there that I don't know, so much out there that um, people can do to make the world a better place. So I, I was. I think that, that was really kind of what prepared me and really kind of opened my mind and made me super curious and interested in different things. Um, so after uh, I graduated from Stanford, I, I did a Coro Fellowship in the bay area which is like a public service oriented fellowship where we did placements in a d- bunch of different types of organizations so right, right, we right. did we did they're essentially like mini internships in like a business um i did uh, an internship at a senator's office senator barbara boxer um i was in really? her office for a little while yeah barbara Box- um,
0: so before feinstein i think
1: was that they they were they were in office at the same time? Oh really? Uh, yeah. yeah, but she she retired before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, that was that was really interesting. Um, but it was cool because we got to get experience doing projects in a bunch of different sectors that really kind of taught us how the world operates. Right. So like worked on a local campaign, worked in the senator's office, worked at the port of Oakland. Um, just really gave us kind of a good understanding of how things relate to each other, um, and that really made me interested in in um, in like public administration and the law. Uh, I, I went to law school at NYU, uh, which was also a great experience. I really, you know, a lot of people who go to law school probably disagree, but I, I enjoyed law school. I thought it was fun. Um, learned a lot, and then after law school. I went to work at a law firm here in New York, um, which was um, good. I, you know, I learned a lot of skills, a lot of litigation skills. Um, I clerked after that for a federal judge in New York and then went back to a different law firm, the one that I'm actually at right now called Patterson Belknap, um, did commercial litigation, but also on the side did a ton of kind of voting rights work. Um, and we can talk a little bit more about how I got into yeah, that. Yeah,
0: let's save the meat for, you know, next course. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, so so did a bunch of voting rights work. And now um, I've been doing that for a few years. And now I'm actually going to start a new job in a couple of weeks at the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund, um, yeah, which I'm really, really excited them. about. I'm going to be doing voting rights work there. So, uh, yeah. are they going to
0: hire me is the real question. i don't have i don't have uh, a law degree but i can get one Uh, yeah
1: there you go yeah you don't need a law degree to work there
0: exactly i don't need one Uh, (laughs) i'm sure they prefer it um but but i guess why why voting rights of all the things you could choose you talked about public administration you talked about working for senators i mean there's so much that goes into policy and and leadership but why voting rights specifically what drew you to that
1: Yeah, so, you know, growing up in Mississippi, we learned a lot about the civil rights movement, and I was always always super, super inspired by kind of all of the the Mississippi heroes that we learned about um, that made such a huge difference in the state and across the country. But I think really what drew me to voting rights was an experience um, a few years ago working on a campaign down in Mississippi. I was doing, I was on their voter protection team. And part of my job was to answer calls from voters who either had questions about voting or had, you know problems with voting or weren't able to vote for one reason or another. And through that experience, I'd heard a ton of stories from people about how difficult it was for them to actually cast their ballots. Uh, one one story that really stood out to me was we got a call from an elderly black woman. Um, who lived in a really small town in Mississippi. And she said that she got a call that day from someone she didn't know who it was, but they were asking her who she was going to vote for. She was super proud about the candidate that she was going to vote for. So she was like, I'm going to vote for so-and-so. And and then the person who called her said, okay, great. Thank you so much for letting us know. Um, You can consider this as your vote. You don't have to go to the polling place on election day and cast your ballot. So essentially what they were trying to do is prevent people from going and voting. Um, and she, you know, she knew better, so she called us and she told us about it, but I'm sure that there were hundreds of people that got that call and as a result didn't go to the polling place on election day and vote. And listening to her explain this and listening to how it the experience it, it affected her, you can really sense that like she felt that something was being taken away from her, a, a really fundamental right was being taken away from her. And, you know, we we had so many calls that were similar to that, especially from from elderly folks who, in Mississippi, these were folks that, you know, had lived through the civil rights movement. They had experienced the trauma and the violence of the battle for voting rights at the time. And hearing these stories about how it's still so difficult for people to cast their ballot, that really kind of struck a chord with me and made me, feel like I got to, I got to get up and do something.
0: Right. No, I, damn,
1: you know? That's, <laughs> yeah. That, that's how I've, I felt.
0: <laughs> I've never had uh, I mean, that's like voter manipulation. I mean, geez, I mean, I'm sure there's some laws. I'm not a lawyer, so I, I defer to you. But Oh yeah.
1: No, there, there definitely are. But I mean, there were, there were a lot, a lot of stories like that. Like you, yeah. you, you hear stories about billboards going up that are advertising the, date of the election a week after the election is actually being held. Um, So all all sorts of misinformation and things like that, that really, you know, serve to disenfranchise folks.
0: Yeah. Well, that adds an extra layer to, I guess, the voting rights restrictions that we're seeing legally passed in some states in some ways. I mean, this is, this is just blatant, you know, um, disenfranchisement, but, I guess in, in, in cases you're talking about, I mean, that was like almost subverting very secretly kind of, you know, manipulating voting, Uh, which is, I guess, historically been, been a trend, you know, but in, in other ways you could say it's all blatant, you know, they were doing this on purpose. Uh, But, but we'll get to that. Uh, I want to circle back to the year 2020, a very interesting year. You, you spent, I, I believe several months working for, for, the, the DNC, the Democratic National Convention. Um, tell me about that. What was, the, what was the DNC like? You were in their voting protections agency, I believe, some, something yep. of that sort. How was that experience? What did you focus on in key states, Georgia? Of course, there was a big runoff election. You know, Walk me through what the DNC was like when, when voting was, was at its height, when there was a presidential election, You know, top to bottom ballots being passed in every state
1: you know what was that like it was crazy (laughs) it was really crazy yeah i so i I was the senior counsel for voter protection um for the for the dnc for the last few months before the election and then a a month a month or so after the election Mm -hmm. Um, and really my primary responsibility was working with state parties uh to help them develop and implement their voter protection programs. So, you know, historically, the way voter protection has worked within the Democratic Party infrastructure is that it is, it's is—it's usually a voter protection program is usually rolled out through a state party or a coordinated campaign or, you know, in states that don't have a coordinated, then um, just the, the, the top of the ticket um, in that state for that election. So we worked really closely with state parties To help them develop their programs, make sure that they had the necessary resources, make sure that they had the necessary expertise, which has all been developed by the DNC over, you know, several election cycles. Um, So it was it was a lot of fun. We worked with, you know, 30 plus states. It was the largest voter protection program in the history of the Democratic Party. Um, More resources were devoted to this voter protection effort than had ever been devoted in previous elections by the Democrats, um, and obviously, you know, it was necessary because we had on the other side um, a, a massive effort by the Trump campaign and, and the Republican Party to um, really subvert the election and to um, erect obstacles all over the country for uh, for people to vote. So it was it was a battle. It was um, it was really really. Yeah, wow. I think
0: it was one of many battles in this war that we're in,
1: oh, yeah. um,
0: and it's yeah. not just a war between parties. I mean, we're we're at war for our for our civil rights. I mean, we're talking about a party, and I can be partisan. You know, I don't know about you. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, not 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 in two weeks. <laughs> yeah,
0: not in two weeks, right? Uh, but I mean, we have a party that is overtly subverting national elections i had a gubernatorial recall i don't know if you're i mean it's pretty famous
1: yeah i, mean, I, 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 I think i heard about them. exactly right
0: i mean we had candidates who were already calling for voter fraud and speculation prior to the results even coming out i mean that's yeah. crazy and, and governor newsom actually recently signed a bill saying you know everybody will be sent an absentee ballot going forward so obviously the democrats are doing something about it but i mean it, it's it's abhorrent. It's very, I guess, it it forces me to come to a conclusion that at the at the fundamental root of of all democracy, all democratic institutions, any policy we pass, it starts with our vote. I think you know that that often gets blurred between the lines. Some people are issue based. Some people are candidate based. Other people just really love to watch CNN at night, and some folks really don't care. But what I always emphasize to to people is that. Voting is so central. It's premised on everything we do. You want that land post fixed, you well, you gotta vote for your mayor. You wanna right. make sure an infrastructure bill is passed so we're in the twenty first century? Well, you gotta vote for Joe Biden. And I'm not endorsing any candidates. I'm just saying voting <laughs> voting is, is slightly more significant. And if it wasn't, if it wasn't the counter argument is then why why is the other side so right. focused on ensuring right. that we don't have that right?
1: Right. No, I I, I totally agree with you. I mean, it is really the core of our democracy. Our ability to vote, our right to vote is at the core of our democracy. And, and, you know, not not only do we have people today fighting tooth and nail to try to make it harder to vote, you know, we had an entire civil rights movement where people literally died for the right to vote. So it's, there's, there's really a ton at stake. And it just highlights the importance of of the right um, to to access the ballot box, and I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned local elections because I feel like people really neglect they, they downplay. Local elections. Yeah, yeah. They,
0: they they. I mean, I say this on practically every episode. If you ever watch this podcast, at least you know yeah. local elections are of the utmost importance.
1: Oh yeah, it's where it's they, at.
0: they are making the leading decisions. You know, as much as I love to pay attention to national highlights and politics and who's not doing this and Senator Joe Manchin and reconciliation. I love that. You know, I'm a political junkie, but when it comes to things that need to be passed, criminal justice reform and police budgets and zoning and, and propositions on your state ballot, and where's the money actually going, that all happens locally. Everything, everything from your city council, mayor, DA, board of supervisors, state senators, state assembly folk. it, It all happens where you live. In your state legislator, so you know, but who am
1: I, you know? Just a couple thoughts. I I I told I'm with you, and and you're really seeing the effects of it too. Um, This this year, this year next, you're going to see with redistricting because redistricting. So many states are going to have so many yeah yeah so many states have are controlled by uh, one party. And their legislatures are going to be responsible for redistricting. And now partisan gerrymandering has kind of been signed off by the Supreme Court. So we're going to see some really uh, extreme partisan gerrymandering happen. And a a lot of the reason why so many of these legislatures are so many states are single party states now is because of local elections and people have not been paying enough attention to local elections. So, yeah, it's, it's really important
0: yeah it's it's uh, I was talking with somebody today. You know, I always have to believe in that life is good or can be because you can you can become so disengaged, so apathetic, so quickly if if you truly analyze and even listen to to the the I guess the modern vernacular. everybody's politicized. Right. Everybody I know. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're if you're like my age young, you know, getting into it. Even folks who, who who can't even vote, like all my peers, or maybe adults, like it, it's across the board. Folks are so tired, you know, yeah. very very fatigued, very exhausted, and, and in most cases alienated. They don't want to pay attention, and that comes yeah. with with a lot of consequences. Um, you know, that's my inspirational sermon. For
1: <laughs> I'm inspired. I'm ready. To, okay. I'm, ready to, I'm ready to go See, fight.
0: See? Um, exactly. Uh, so, you know, on, on that note, we see in Georgia, you, you brought up gerrymandering, and this is a very interesting topic. You brought up a Supreme Court precedence. Um, I, I want talk about that. Talk about why gerrymandering kind of happens, uh, you know, and, and what, what it has eventually led to, which is our, our current kind of hyperpolarization. So, so, so bring me in, bring me, bring me to speed, you know, talk to me as in
1: kindergarten. (laughs) Yeah. So, so, um, every 10 years we have the census. Yes. The census is basically, you know, counting every single person in the country. That's the goal to count every single person in the country. And the reason that we do the census, there are a bunch of reasons. One is, you know, allocation of resources, budgeting, that type of stuff, um, at the federal level. But we also do the census because, (laughs) We have to reapportion and redistrict our um, legislative districts across the country. And that's both at that's that's at every single level at the local level. You know, your school boards, your city councils um, at the state level, your state legislatures and at the federal level. So your congressional seats, all of the maps of those districts are going to be redrawn this year and next year. And we're going to have a lot of litigation that's going to extend it much beyond next year. Um, so this, this process happens every 10 years, and in many states, um, the entity that's responsible for doing that is the state legislature. We're starting to see some states move towards what what are called independent redistricting commissions or bipartisan redistricting commissions yes. but in the majority of states the state legislature is still responsible for that so
0: this Bay Area context my county is actually independent redistricting commission I yeah. I don't think I believe there's an hcap 18 so I wasn't able to join but we do have that in some states although I'm very blue I do continue
1: <laughs> yeah yeah no it's it's interesting that it's actually a very interesting trend that we're starting to see kind of what the effects are now. Um, but you know, that's, that's another conversation. Um, so what we're, what we're seeing is that, you know, state legislatures, the, the, le- what you're seeing is literally legislators are drawing the lines of their own districts. So obviously, you know, they have certain incentives, they, sa- they have certain interests to make sure that they stay in their seats. They want to make sure that they don't get um, ousted. They don't lose an, a re-election campaign, so they want to make their seats very safe. They also want to maximize their political party's power and representation within the legislature, um, both at the state and the federal level. So the ways that they do that are called gerrymandering. And gerrymandering is essentially, there There are a couple different forms of gerrymandering, but what it is is it's essentially drawing the lines in such a way as to favor one group over another. So, you have partisan gerrymandering, which is where one party is drawing the lines to favor that party over another party. Um, so, you know, you have some really horrendous gerrymanders that we've seen all over the country. There were some really bad ones in Pennsylvania, uh, some really bad ones in North Carolina, where you see, like, districts that are being drawn, like, all really, really crazy shapes. Um, and they're, like... You know, trying to exclude certain neighborhoods so that you don't have uh, Democrats too blue in this or
0: too red. You know, I have seen it.
1: Seen yeah, those maps.
0: Yeah. Look at those maps; they're crazy. And they're you know, in, in states like Georgia right now, they're trying to redo it because they saw Fulton County. They know how well it did, so they're trying to divide it up. But yeah, do continue.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so that partisan gerrymandering is is you know favoring one party over another. The Supreme Court in 2019, in a case called Russo versus Common Cause, held that partisan gerrymandering claims—so claims that are being brought in court in federal court to challenge partisan gerrymanders—are uh, not not justiciable, which means that essentially federal courts won't hear those claims. So that that decision has—that's oh, all a whole
0: of, bunch of BS. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I I agree. That's um, come
0: on. You yeah. me. it is literally defining our federal leadership, state leadership. And it, you know, maybe they're pulling the state's right argument. let the states handle it. But that's so bs
1: it's it's, you know, it essentially came down to um, the argument that you know there a, a court doesn't really have a method to judge how unconstitutional a partisan gerrymander is. i think I think it's it's, you know, it's a very flawed opinion. Um, But it's the law that we have now so that what it means is that there are going to be just blatant and explicit partisan gerrymanders all across the country in this redistricting cycle. You know, we're not people, legislators are not going to try to hide their partisan gerrymanders. They can explicitly say we're drawing these lines to maximize Republican power. We're drawing these lines to maximize Democratic power. And that's totally okay. You know, there are some state laws, state constitutions, for example, in Pennsylvania that could provide the basis for claims. And we've seen some successful claims uh, being brought under state constitutional grounds. Um, But that might not be possible. It's not going to be possible across the entire country. So that's one of the big kind of things that we're dealing with this cycle. Um, And, you know, you're starting to see maps being proposed Um, in states like texas where you have i think just yesterday or the day before uh you the the maps that were proposed were um hugely partisan huge hugely hugely partisan and and this is just an example of kind of where we're at now with with the russo Russo decision
0: yeah no i'm just glad we aren't in a government shutdown today so
1: you know yeah Um, i guess yeah we got to count our blessings
0: yeah exactly um (laughs) you know, especially for those federal employees. (laughs) They work very hard. I just want to echo that, you know, our federal employees are probably the most overworked. They're basically keeping the country's leadership afloat. um, And, and, you know, we treat them so, so terribly, but anyway, voting rights. Yeah, that's, that's good too. Um, (laughs) I just want to, you know, ask what can, can we be doing? You know, in states like California, states like Pennsylvania, Georgia, what can we be doing to help the cause? I think that's what most folks want answered. Sure, you laid out the problem. Sure, you you told me here are the solutions, but what can I actually do to make sure it happens? What's the actionable? What's the enforceable? You know, maybe we're not all great lawyers and you know, NAACP Legal Fund like you, <laughs> but what can we be doing to, to to support support our values?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think number one. And this is, I guess, the most obvious one. But you can go out and vote. Uh, voting is, is kind of the the fundamental way that we express our preferences in this country. And that there are barriers to voting. Um, that's kind of what my entire job is about: is to help reduce those barriers. But that that there are still, um, you know, that is still our best way to affect. Outcomes and to to make sure that our preferences are expressed. So I think number one is voting. Um, Number two is to to stay engaged and to make sure that you're staying apprised of things that are going on in your state, things that that are going on in your city, um, and make your voice heard in other ways. There there's so many different ways for us to get involved and for us to make our voices heard. You know, you can, you can go to city council meetings. You can go to local school board meetings. You can um, make public comment at all of these things. You three can, um, what was that?
0: I said three minute public comment. Exactly, three minutes. Yeah.
1: That's all it takes. Three minutes. And I know people can talk for way more than three minutes. So like that, that's, you know, a great way for you to get out there and, and make your voice heard. Also talk to your friends about the stuff. Like I, I, I know a bunch of my friends who are not necessarily politically engaged but they still care about things they still care about things that affect their day-to-day lives and they still care about you know their kids or their parents or their grandparents things that affect their lives so if you can talk to folks and really connect how the things that are happening at your local city council meetings or the things that are happening in the Senate or in the White House actually affect their lives like that does a lot to get other people engaged and involved in the process. Um, so, yeah, those, those, are, those are a few ways that I think can be great to get, get involved.
0: Yeah. And then at the end, go to Stanford, get a lot of and you'll be fine. Uh, something Easy. like that.
1: Easy.
0: Uh, right. Uh, so, no, thank, thank you for that sound advice. Um, I just want to how can folks stay updated on your on your platform? Uh, what you do, with, I guess, will do with the NAACP if you want to shout out your, your social medias or anything
1: yeah uh I'm on Instagram I'm not super active I got like three posts but you know i I do stories and things on instagram uh' you're, at not, on,
0: you're not on twitter
1: I'm not on Twitter actually I need to get on twitter Dude, how can you be in I politics
0: know. and not be on twitter
1: <laughs> you know I know
0: before before i I asked you know folks to come on the show, I should verify they have <laughs> Twitter because this has happened to me in the past. one other person on this show said you know she didn't have twitter and i
1: anyway get twitter please yeah i need to get to that i'm gonna do that right after i get off
0: yes and follow <laughs> first follow is me
1: my first follow yeah Yeah, in yeah.
0: the, the description just write dedicated to my you know, <laughs> twitter uh much yeah. appreciated yeah. uh but no no do 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 that and and you know you're always welcome back on the show uh, thank I understand. You. you know, you're on the East Coast. You know, got some got some hefty work to do. Uh, but you're always welcome back. Please, please let us know how how the new the new job works out. And and keep you fight in the good fight. You know, it's yeah. It's thank a you.
1: Like you. Thanks for having me on, and thanks for for doing this uh, this show. This is such a great platform for for you to have people talk and and connect with other young folks. So thank you for for doing this. Of
0: course. And yeah, if the NAACP wants to sponsor me, you have my number. Give me a call anytime. Would appreciate that. Uh, other than that, thank you for, for your unique perspective. And, and I wish you the best of luck.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take care, Mark. Take care.
0: Bye.